You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here inside the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. The Houston Astros picking up a 6-1 win last night over the Washington Nationals. We'll recap that game, talk about the remainder of that series that continues tonight at 7-10 yet again. You can hear it here on the game. Also, the Vegas Golden Knights captured the franchise's first Stanley Cup in dominating fashion. We will recap that series and, and talk about the offseason coming up and much more. Of course, we'll continue the Omaha conversation as the Tigers departed for the heartland of the U.S. this morning from Baton Rouge. Bringing my producer and co host now, Mr. James Mesh. James, Halfway through the work week, sir. How are you? Halfway through the work week, and we're just starting the dog days of summer. This guy loves saying dog days of summer. That's going to be the phrase <laughs> of like your year. I, I, I swear, you say it every opportunity you get. I've only said it like twice. I've heard it more than that. Not for me. Yes. <laughs> no way. Yes. No shot, no prayer. No shot, no prayer. Oh, my God. Because we got 74 days till college football. 86 days till NFL football, 120 days until the MLB playoffs, 127 days until the NBA season starts. I don't, I don't, don't you tell me about the NBA. The NBA season has been over for one day. It's been too long. Oh, my God. And then 149 days until college basketball season starts. That can't be right. That can't be right. But anyway, that, that feels off. But that feels off. But anyways, six to one win last night for the Astros. The Astros offense kind of coming alive a little bit last night. A four home run night for the Astros offense. Mauricio Dubon, Kyle Tucker, Martin Maldonado, and Chaz McCormick all getting in on the home run party. Jose Abreu getting an RBI single in the seventh, and then Jose Altuve with an RBI single. In the eighth was the difference. Hunter Brown goes seven scoreless, walks three, strikes out four. He gets the win. He's six and three now on the year. Patrick Corbin will fall with the loss four and seven. He pitched five innings, giving up two runs. He struck out five and walked five. But the story of the Houston Astros today is GM Dana Brown gave two injury updates today. And, and either one's good. Uh, first, we'll begin with Lance McCullers Jr., who six hundred. It's been six hundred and eleven days since Lance McCullers has pitched, and now he's having surgery on his flexor tendon. And guess what? He's gonna miss the rest of the twenty twenty three season. Look. Lance McCullers has been a great pitcher for the Astros. He's a two-time World Series champ. He had that dominating year in 2020. 
I get it. But now it is 2023. He is 29 years old. And this is the second major injury that he has suffered to that arm. Now, he avoided Tommy John surgery, and that's huge. It's huge. But James, when you're the Astros and you have the farm system that you do, you have young pitchers that are ready. They're just waiting for an opportunity. Look, if I'm the Houston Astros, I'm I'm maybe looking to move on from Lance McCullers. That's just me. I mean, some people, somebody can have a t- completely differing opinion, and that's okay. But you're paying the guy $15 million, and he hasn't pitched for you in two years now. That's that's just a big price to pay for a guy that, by the time he returns next April, it'll be over 1,000 days since he's pitched for you. That's a long time. So the the question really stands, will he even come back the same guy? If I'm the Astros, I'm looking to move on. Because, again, you have great young talent in AAA just waiting to come up. Forrest Whitley, you know, we, we've talked about Forrest Whitley for months now about how good he's been for the, the Space Cowboys. If you go down to double A, Spencer Arigetti has been tearing it up. He's ready for an opportunity. Now, I'm not saying he needs to come straight up to the show. I don't know if he's ready for that. But a, a, a guy like Forrest Whitley is ready for an opportunity. And you've got Hunter Brown, you've got JP France, you've already got two young guys as well. Fromber's still fairly young. Jose Arquiti's still young. Christian Javier is still very young as well. I I just think that you need to look in a different direction if you're the Astros. Valdez is 29, Javier's only 26. James, what do you think? Do, do you think they give McCullers another chance? What What would you do if you were in Dana Brown's situation? I would see if I could find some some good competition for Lance McCullers, but at the same time, if you feel like you can still get a lot out of McCullers when he comes back, I would say stick with him. Now, I know you have a really good farm system, so it's like if someone's willing to give you a good bid and it, it feels like a good value trade for you, then yeah, do it. But if they're not going to really give you much at all, but you can still have a comparable pitcher that can still do good things for you as a franchise and help lead you to wins, I wouldn't be so eager and like to just trade them as soon as I can. Especially right now, since who's going to trade for them? Well, right now, nobody. That that's kind of that that that's kind of the issue. You're not going to get trade value for them right now because if you go into the off season. And you're a team and you're like, we could use some pitching or maybe next season, like near the trade deadline, you see what Lance McCullers is looking like and you as a franchise as Houston looks at it 
and you don't feel like you necessarily need him at this point because you feel good with your farming system and you like your young guys, then trade him. But outside of that, I don't I don't see like a need to do it. And then the the other thing is somebody might trade for him this season if there's a you know you, you have a hope that maybe he could return to the guy that he was. But here's the thing with with McCullers It's going to be very, as I talk about moving on from him, it's going to be very hard to get rid of him because you just signed him to a five-year extension that 2023 is year two of, by the way. Um, You owe him $17 million a year between now and 2027. It's going to be hard to move. So, you know, I, I I say move on from him, but I'm not sure how you do that, right? Because A, you have to find somebody that's willing to absorb his injury history. And then you have to find somebody that's willing to absorb the contract. Plus, you have to get enough value in return. So there's a lot of edges to that sword that I, I just don't know that it can be done as much as I'd like to see it be done. Remind you of anyone? Not the same. <laughs> Not the same. Not the same? Not the same. When, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about Zion. No, I'm talking about Michael Thomas. Oh, okay. Then that's the same. Okay. Yes, I was like, that's the same. I, was, are I, you thought, sure I thought you were talking about Zion. I mean, Zion's another good, good comp. But Zion's the face of the franchise. That's different. That's different. Lance McCullers is not the face of your franchise. We Pels fans want him to be, but without Little, he's on the field. It's like, can we necessarily say that? He's still a face. He has, he has the he's the capability of it. Even even on the sidelines, Zion Williamson is the face of the Pelicans. He is. Oof. He is. I would argue that until I'm blue in the face. He's the face of the franchise. He is the focal point. When somebody who doesn't follow the in and out operations of the New Orleans Pelicans, here's the term, here's the team name, the New Orleans Pelicans. The first player that's going to pop into their head is Zion Williamson. He's the face of your franchise. Whether that's a good look right now or not is in the eye of the beholder, but he is the face of the franchise. But anyways, getting back to the Astros, uh, another injury update for Houston. Dana Brown said that Jordan Alvarez could be out four weeks with his oblique injury. James, that is not not the news that the Astros wanted out of Jordan. No, went on the 10-day IL. You were like, okay, well, he's going to miss about two weeks. You, you feel good about him coming back after that, but no, you, now you extend it even farther to four weeks. Yeah, the progress was not what you were hoping for by any stretch. According to Dana Brown, it's going to take at least two weeks for us to even get a feel for how it's healing. You take those two weeks and then another week to figure out when he starts to have some activity and how's his body responding. That's three weeks right there. You're looking at maybe four weeks before he's even swinging a bat. Oof. 
I look, I you would rather him get hurt now if he's going to get hurt at all. You'd rather it be now than you know September, but still not good news. No, but it makes sense since oblique muscle strains usually take about six weeks to fully recover from. Yep. So the Astros will be back in action tonight again. 7-10 first pitch, 640 Astro launch right here on the game. Also, news came out yesterday. The Field of Dreams game for this year has been announced. The Giants, or the 2024 Field of Dreams game, I should say. The San Francisco Giants and the St. Louis Cardinals will play in the 2024 contest that'll take place at Rickwood Field in Birmingham, Alabama. It is the oldest professional ballpark in the country. The stadium was built in 1910. So well over 100 years old. Um, Hall of Famer Willie Mays played at Rickwood Field when he was a member of the Birmingham Black Barons in the Negro Leagues. So pretty cool historical fact there. Uh, I don't like that the Field of Dreams game is not going to get played in Dyersville, Iowa, because what's the point of having a Field of Dreams game if you're not going to play it at the Field of Dreams, right? But, look, if the MLB wants to use the term Field of Dreams as a money-making opportunity, more, more power to them, I guess. Uh, we got a great show lined up for you today. Adam Spencer of Saturday Down South is going to join us. The 2024 SEC opponents list gets released tonight. You know what that means. Texas and Oklahoma's SEC schedule is unveiled for the first time. We're going to get his thoughts on what that could look like. And, of course, in hour number two, Brendan Ertle will join us for Hoot at Wednesday. Talking Saints mini camp. Chris Olave according to reports, having one hell of a summer. We'll ask Brendan about that and more. This is Crunch Time here on The Game. We'll be back right after this. This is Crunch Time on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you want to take your lady out for a nice dinner, but you're running just a little low on cash, not to worry. The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. As a member of our awards club, you'll have the opportunity to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse and a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, both located at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. However, you can only score these great prizes by joining the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Game.com. It's free. It's simple. Go sign up today. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 420. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. We mentioned LSU departing for Baton Rouge North, a.k.a. Omaha, Nebraska. This morning, the team has arrived at Charles Schwab Field for the week, or you, you hope that they're there for about 12 days. Um, five, five wins away 
from a national championship if they go without a loss. Jay Johnson met with the media yesterday before they departed, and he gave his thoughts on how the bracket shaped out and the team's matchup with Tennessee on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, not a surprise at all. You know, when you look at the bracket, when it comes out, you obviously get focused on the game in front of you, and then you kind of look to that that first game, what it might be, and, I mean, that's basically why I anticipated that we would play. Uh, great team, great talent. Uh, enjoy competing against them, and it um, should be a great, great night for college baseball. I'm just curious. Everyone seems to love Scott Barry. You, you have any interactions yeah. and stuff with him? Yeah, yeah, big-time respect, um, you know, to – uh, be a mid-major coach at, a, at a programs that were successful. I think I kind of uh, appreciate the challenges, and there's a few of them like Southern Miss that have kind of ascended to their own level in that regard, and that takes great coaching, great recruiting, great leadership, great culture. Uh, the guy's a winner, and um, you know, it's somebody that I, I admire a lot. Looking at Charles Schwab Field, we talked about it yesterday. Hard to hit there, um, although the dimensions aren't much different from a standard park. It, it just seems like offenses tend to struggle there. It kind of levels the playing field a little bit. Jay Johnson said that that's because of really good pitching once you get to this stage in the season. You know, I, I think it's bigger. And I think, um, you know, what is a hitter's ballpark? I think maybe it's it's a little bit relative to what Rosenblatt used to be like, which was a launching pad. So um, I think it's evolved into more fair recently. And, um, you know, winning baseball is winning baseball. And then there's just creating an awareness of, of some things that might be unique about it. And so uh, we'll spend some time, you know, doing that and, and make sure we're plugged in and dialed into what we need to do. I think the thing that gets lost of it not being a hitter's ballpark either is if you're in Omaha, you have great pitching, mm -hmm. as we do, as all these other teams do. So it's just flat out harder to score when you're facing the opponents that are, are usually there. Now, one thing I find interesting is Jay Johnson referred to old Rosenblatt Stadium as a launching pad. And uh, he's not the first person I've heard call Rosenblatt that but here's what's interesting James if you compare the dimensions of Charles Schwab Field and Rosenblatt they're almost identical so Rosenblatt was 335 at the poles 375 down the center alleys and then 408 to dead center Charles Schwab Field, 335 at the poles, 375 down the alleys, and 408 to dead center. The dimensions are exactly the same. It says here that until it was demolished, Rosenblatt Stadium was the largest minor league ballpark in America. So I I don't mean to to maybe sound ignorant here, but what made it a launching pad? If Charles Schwab Field is a pitcher's park or it's hard to hit there, then what made Rosenblatt so special? Did it did it rise up? Like what the winds carried it? Like I I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean 
it was was there a design flaw in Rosenblatt where the wind carried balls more? Like I'm genuinely asking. I, I really don't know. I was I was far too young when Rosenblatt was around. Um, I mean they they demolished Rosenblatt in the late 2000s, early 2010s. So I mean I was 10, 11 years old. So I mean I remember it, but not enough to like know that oh man it was a launching pad because of this this and this. So like genuinely, kind kind of curious what what made Rosenblatt a, a, a launching pad. But anyways, getting off of we're we're, we're getting sidetracked a little bit here. Uh, Jay Johnson also talked about his team and how he's proud of the way that his team has handled itself throughout the postseason. Yeah, I think uh, the accomplishments, I mean, entitlement, that's it's a good word. Um, and to be the complete opposite of that is a great quality in your team. And that's our team. I mean, uh, they are very mature in their approach. We've been very intentional about our approach. And um, this is a special deal getting there. I mean, because outside of Riley, Bryce, and Christian, none of the players have been to Omaha. So it's a, a big, it's a big accomplishment. And they knew they had to go earn it. Uh, with that being said, I mean, we clearly set a goal that is beyond being in the College World Series. And um, they believe in themselves at a high level. They know what elite preparation looks like. They know what being in the moment looks like. I think they've exhibited that over the past two weeks as good as you possibly can. Those things will serve us well with, with where we're headed and what we're doing. Um, but um, becoming a team and uh, having a legitimate process uh, that's defined that they work through on a daily basis and respecting that. Um, what we talked about going into the super regional is like getting there and having an opportunity to play there is going to be more worth it and more fulfilling because of how they've respected what they need to do. And I'm really proud of them for that. Let's go to the game hotline now, Kirk. What's going on? Oh, not much, guys. Enjoying the radio show. But I just want to let y'all know that I lived in Omaha about six years. And uh, I went to check out the old Rosenblatt site. Rosenblatt's actually built on top of a hill. And the stadium, home plate, faces uh, south. So the, so the wind is blowing out all the time. The biggest thing to debate okay, about so the new park is that it's downtown. And the wind, when it blows, is blowing in. So it's oriented north. So there's not a lot of carry to the ball, not a lot of help. Uh, so a lot of home runs don't, don't, don't get out the ballpark as much as anymore. Okay. So that's that's what it was. Okay. Um, so yeah, it it was just the design thing. Then Rosenblatt was, was pointed South and Charles Schwab field is pointed North. Yeah. It's made for TV essentially. Fair enough. Fair enough. Kirk, appreciate the information, man. Not a problem. Y'all have a good one. Go Tigers. I figured it probably if the dimensions are 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 the same, the the first thing that comes to mind, I figured it had to probably do something with the wind. Um, I mean that just makes the most sense. But it being designed on a hill is is interesting. Uh, man, I, I hope one day I get to go to Omaha because I would love to go to the Rosenblatt site and go see Charles Schwab Field, and that would just be that would just be fantastic. But anyways. Once again, Jay Johnson continued talking about his team up until this point, and he said that he, he talks about how there's a difference between a dream and a goal 
He said the goal of this team is to continue working for a national title. Well, the answer is definitely yes to that question. Um, you know, and, and what I tell the players is like, you know, you either have goals or you have dreams. You know, if you have dreams, you just think about things. If you have goals, you think about them, and then you go to work uh, very deliberately on how you want to achieve them. And so, yeah, there's a thought, but then it, it's got to be followed up with action. You know, and, and for our players, obviously, it's playing in the College World Series, winning a national championship, but they also want to play in the major league someday. Like, if you're coming here, like, that's a thing for you. And um, so kind of teaching them how to have the self-discipline to make them goals instead of dreams is, is kind of what, what we talk about a lot and um, how I try to operate from my chair or my position. And uh, I think this team has done a great job of that. And I think if you look at the player improvement, um, you know, uh, Gavin Dugas switching a position, Cade Beloso, I mean, emerging into a legitimate middle-of-the-order, you know, hitter, uh, Jordan Thompson, you know, um, quality at bat after quality at bat, great defense. Um, Hayden Travinsky, um, there's so many good stories of that on this team. I mean, I, I think that improvement shows it shows that they have talent, but it also shows the self-discipline to stay focused on the work. And and going into this, we'll stay focused on the work. Like we got our schedule all mapped out of where we're at, what we're doing, and, and getting prepared to play on Saturday. You know, you look at this team. Dylan Cruz is going to get drafted. That's obvious. Paul Skeens is going to get drafted. That's pretty obvious also. Uh, a lot of people believe Trey Morgan's going to get drafted. I, I don't deny that either. Uh, I, I think he's done enough to get drafted. But one guy, one, one name that I'm going to throw out there as a, you know, watch out for him. He, he might be in that conversation is Jordan Thompson. He's not the world's greatest hitter. He can make a pitcher work, though. He knows how to, full up, how to fill up a count. So, no, he's not the world's greatest offensive player. But what Jordan does well is he's one of the better defensive shortstops, I would argue, in the country. I mean, that throw that he made across the diamond to Trey Morgan Saturday, I mean, Sunday night, that was Derek Jeter-esque. I, I watched that and I thought a lot. I was like, wow, that looked a lot like Jeter. It's there. The, the defensive ability, you really can't teach what he has. You can turn him into a better hitter. That can be worked on. The defense, it kind of has to be there, right? Um, it, it's a lot easier to teach hitting than it is to teach that elite defensive ability. Um, and, and so I think that'll go a long way for Jordan. Now, am, am I saying he's going to get drafted in one of the top like five rounds? No, I, I don't know about that. But, you know, day two, late day two, maybe even day three, I, I could see Jordan's name getting called for sure. Um, and, and if the money's right, there, there's no reason why he shouldn't take it. So, looking forward to seeing how the draft plays out next month. Uh, but first, LSU's playing for a national championship beginning on Saturday against Tennessee. 6 o'clock pregame at 5.30 right here on the game. We'll take a timeout. Adam Spencer of Saturday Down South joins us next to talk the 2024 SEC football schedule right here on the game. 
This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. 437, Matt Miguez, James Mesh inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. It's crunch time on the game. The 2024 SEC football schedule gets unveiled tonight, which will include new members, Texas and Oklahoma. Things are going to get very interesting there, including could there be a Georgia-Texas matchup in Austin? Adam Spencer of Saturday Down South joins us here on the game hotline to discuss the 2024 schedule. Adam, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm um, doing well. So let's start, you know, first, I just I find it incredible how it's not even the beginning of the 2023 SEC football season, but let's go ahead and release the 2024 schedule. Yeah, I mean, they've been doing this for years, and it's kind of weird because, you know, you think you're <laughs> you should be getting excited for the upcoming season, and then it's it's weird to, like, have it right now. Um, it, it You would think that maybe they would wait until, you know, at least, like, October or something, but uh, I guess I think that's what they normally do. But uh, I guess there's a lot of excitement around this one, and they want to show off, like, hey, you know, we were actually doing stuff at the SEC spring meetings other than just debating eight or nine games. So, um, you know, I guess that's the case. But, yeah, it's going to be weird to see the schedule tonight and then have to wait in a, another entire season before we see those games. So with with Texas and Oklahoma coming in, it's, it's going to change the way the scheduling format works. Just kind of walk us, us through the, the scheduling format for 2024 and how it could look. Oh, what do you mean? With the with, with with the eight games and then the one power five opponent. Yeah, I mean, I think that that was the sticking point for um, you know why it was stuck at eight games is that you know some of the ACC schools that or some of the SEC schools that have permanent SEC rivals, you know, your Georgias, your Floridas, Kentucky, and South Carolina. You know, they wanted to make sure that hey, if we move to nine. You know, we want to make sure that everybody's playing a similar schedule. So, I mean, that wasn't going to be the case necessarily. So, you know, they I think that there was some concern among that, like that uh, the, some schools, if you move to nine, would be playing eight power or, you know, nine SEC opponents and one or two power five opponents in non-conference play. And, uh, you know, some wouldn't be. Some would just be playing those nine SEC games. So I think that that was probably one of the big, hanging points and uh yeah now we're you know stuck with one more year and uh somewhat of a limbo when it comes to conference schedules because i don't think that eight is going to be sustainable if you don't have divisions and um you know when you have 16 teams uh you know so i i think it's going to change and i think it's gonna um i think it's going to change by 2025 frankly what do you think the benefit is to to doing away with divisions um in in football you know i feel like divisions just makes it easier to determine who's going to play for a conference championship but without divisions i mean how's it going to work the top two teams make the the sec championship game yeah i mean i think that that's exactly what's going to happen there i think uh you know it's it's, it's going to you know this is going to be interesting because 
you know, if the two best teams, you know, there was, there was some years there where, uh, you know, that the SEC West, I mean, just look at that one year where Alabama and LSU, uh, played in the national championship mm-hmm. game and they didn't even face each other in the SEC championship game. So, you know, I think that, you know, that's going to fix that sort of, you know, there's been years where Alabama and Auburn have both been elite. There's been years when Georgia and Florida have both been elite. So, you know, it's going to give us the possibility for some new matchups in Atlanta, even if, uh, you know, probably most years we might still get Alabama and Georgia, but uh, we'll at least have the option for uh, some, some new blood to get in there and create some new matchups that we haven't seen yet in the SEC championship game. With Oklahoma and Texas coming into the SEC, people have already started talking about some games that, that they would love to see. And, and one of them is an Oklahoma-LSU rematch from, from 2019 for a couple of reasons. One of them being Brent Venables, who is now the head coach at Oklahoma, was, of course, the defensive coordinator at Clemson when LSU won the national title against the Tigers that year. Uh, so, so there would be a lot of reasons for Brent Venables to want another crack at LSU. Um, in your opinion, what would an Oklahoma LSU matchup say in 2024 or even 2025 look like? Yeah, I mean, I think right now Oklahoma's got to you know figure some things out. They had a real down year after Lincoln Riley left, um, but you know, it, Venables has to build that program. The way to have success is the way that Lincoln Riley built the Oklahoma program. I don't know that they're going to. Re- they're going to win much without that sort of offense. I think that uh, Jeff Levy's got to get his guys in there and uh, and really uh, really keep that offense humming along. Uh, they got to find a, an elite quarterback and uh, you know, really open things up. And uh, you know, I, I know that's not going to make Venables very happy as a defensive minded head coach when his defense is giving up 400 yards a game. But uh, you know, we've seen that's where college football is going. So uh, if you know, take that blueprint that Lincoln Riley left you and build on that. Don't, don't try to st- stray away from that too much, or you're gonna, or Oklahoma is gonna be a middle of the road program for a few years. Um, so I think that LSU is on the more positive trajectory right now. I mean, having won the SEC West last year, and uh, you know, being in a position to do it again this year, frankly. Um, so I think that uh, if, if Venables doesn't figure some things out this fall. If they have another, you know, six and six or seven and five regular season, then uh, you know, I, I think things could get a little tense there in Norman, and uh, and then a 2024 or 2025 matchup against LSU would be a, a very difficult task, especially if it's in Death Valley down there. And it's also been it's already been announced that Texas A&M will host Texas in, in 2024. You know, it's been a long time since that rivalry got to play out, especially in a conference setting. Uh, that's going to be huge for the state of Texas in terms of college football. Let's let's see if we can if we can try to get him back. But yeah, you know, it was announced earlier that Texas and Texas A and M would play each other. You know, with things like this, schedules get leaked all the time. Rumors get leaked all the time. Uh, so Texas A&M will host Texas in 2024. Like I said, it's been a long time since those two teams got to to play it out in a conference format. Uh, one thing I'm interested to see, though, is if you get away from divisions, is that going to open the opportunity for you to play, you know, bigger or, or different games? You know, you've got you've gotten in a stretch now where LSU hasn't played Georgia 
even every other year. So if that, how would that play out and, and things like that? Uh, but it sounds like we've got Adam Spencer back. Adam, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, absolutely. So awesome. the, the 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 question was, you know, it it was leaked earlier today that Texas A and M is going to host Texas in 2024. Uh, it's been a while since those two teams have gotten to play in, in a conference game. Just kind of talk about what that's going to do for the SEC and for the state of Texas. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's that's huge. I mean, that's you know, even the Texas governor has tried to step in and uh, make that happen again. Uh, you know, there's just been a lot of hand wringing on both sides. I mean, frankly, both schools have acted uh, a little childish when it comes to restarting the rivalry. I mean, even Mizzou and Kansas have been able to get some games on the books here for the future. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad that uh, Texas A&M and Texas are being like forced to play each other again. That's great, and uh, you know, I think uh, you know that it, college football is better with rivalries like that, and. Uh, you know that's that's huge. I mean, this is one of the big benefits of having Texas join the conference is just getting that game back. Frankly, Adam Spencer of Saturday Down South joining us. Adam, you know, one thing I'm wondering is with the elimination of divisions, are are there going to be protected games, or you know, will it will it be something where each school is kind of free to schedule who they want in the SEC? I think the the league's going to handle all the scheduling, but I, I, I do think they're going to protect the big rivalries. I mean, they're going to protect the Iron Bowl. It, this is why it makes sense to move in 2025 to nine games um, and try to get your ducks in a row for that because, you know, you have to, for, for a school like Alabama, you have to protect the Auburn rivalry, but, like, you can't do that at the expense of the Tennessee rivalry. And then, you know, the third biggest rivalry probably for Alabama is uh, is – LSU you know that's that's a big game that's a game that often decides who goes to Atlanta so you know I, I think that you have to get every team three permanent rivals uh, and then so you know when you have three permanent rivals and then you, know, you still have 13 other schools in there like you need to be playing six other schools a year so that you can rotate through there I mean it's it's you've you've got to be you've got to have nine games it just does not make sense to stick at eight games if you want to protect the rivalries and that's what makes the SEC so great. There are just so many rivalries that date back to, you know, the early 1900s. The, these games have been played a hundred times, you know, Georgia and Auburn, you know, uh, Georgia and Florida, they play all the time. You know, it's, it's just, you have to protect those rivalries. And the only way that that makes sense is to go to nine games. Uh, so it's going to be weird because I think there are going to be a couple of games that we don't see on the 2024 schedule. And I think that is what's going to spur, uh, Sankey and some of these schools to act more decisively on nine games next year during spring meetings because fans are not going to be happy when certain rivalries fall by the wayside. If you had to pick for either Oklahoma or Texas one opponent that they have to face in 2024, who would it be? Uh, I mean, Texas, they have to face Texas A&M. That's just that's a given. Um <laughs> And Oklahoma, I mean, I think they have to play Arkansas. That's that's a regional rivalry. That's a that's you know that's a really old school game that really goes back. That's what you have to get back to. I mean, now that the SEC has the ability to do some of those games with um, Oklahoma and Texas joining the league, you know, that's those are big. But uh, you know, Oklahoma Florida is a sneaky good rivalry. Uh, you know, dating back to yeah. the Urban Meyer and Bob Stoops.
Duke's era. Uh, you know, Texas and Alabama has been a really good rivalry here uh, over over the 2000s, the handful of times that they've played. Um, I, I think that there's just a lot of possibilities for some really good games that are going to not only interest fans, but also interest uh, TV markets. And, uh, you know, I think that that's the name of the game. You there's there's more money to be made here by having these big time matchups. So you got to get them on the schedule uh, early and often. And uh, and I'm I'm excited to see you know just how many of those we get uh, in the schedule or at least tonight. Adam Spencer, Saturday Down South, joining us here on Crunch Time. Adam, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy the release tonight, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. And there he goes, Adam Spencer of Saturday Down South. We'll take a time out, wrap up our number one right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you're looking for great deals, look no further than AcadianaDeals.com. Plenty of two-for-one deals available for you right now, including a $30 voucher to La Hacienda for only 15 bucks. And this Friday, you will be able to score a $40 voucher to Misfits Dine and Drink for $20. Once again, head to AcadianaDeals.com to take advantage of these deals and so many more. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the corner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Is wrapping up our number one here from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day since it's a Wednesday. It's a foodie poll question, but also coming up this weekend is Father's Day. So it's a Father's Day foodie-themed poll question. What's your favorite Father's Day meal to go to on Father's Day? Is it a steak dinner? You want to go with a just barbecue in general, seafood, whether it's boiled or fried, or is it something else? Right now, steak leads the way almost halfway with 48%. About 40% goes towards barbecue with about 7 going to seafood and then 5% going to other. For me, my dad's always been big on venison and deer, so we usually go for that as the dinner. Bougie. <laughs> Bougie. Bougie. I want some, I want some venison. You, it's just, I, I just like messing with you. But no, it, for me, hmm. my dad's a big steak guy. Mm-hmm. So typically, that's the way we go. Which is which a lot of guys, and you can see it by the comments. If you haven't put down a comment yet on either Facebook or Twitter, go for it. But a lot of them like to say steak and. Darren even said steak and shrimp. Cool. I I love some shrimp. And steak and shrimp just goes well together. But um once again the Houston Astros tonight 7:10 first pitch 6:40 pregame. James, do the Astros keep the winning train rolling or do they stumble again? I think they win tonight. I think it'd be tomorrow night's game where if they were to lose, maybe that's where you catch them. Because you would think, oh, just sweep the Nationals. It shouldn't be that hard. It's not like Nationals are that great of a team. They're last in their division. 
they're they're certainly not great. But it's like with the fact of the injuries right now, I would say they probably win tonight. But it's like you would think, oh, go for the three point three three peat, and then they just end up falling in game three. Game one of a doubleheader between Atlanta and Detroit. The Braves took that one ten to seven. Currently in the top of the fourth in game number two, the Braves lead the Tigers three to one. Couple of final scores: Minnesota takes down Milwaukee four to two, and San Francisco walks off San St. Louis eight to five in ten innings. Once again, Astros Nats tonight, Yankees Mets tonight as well. Toronto and Baltimore should be another good game on the schedule here in hour number two. We're going to preview the U.S. Open. You'll hear from Saints quarterback Derek Carr, and we'll do Who Dat Wednesday with our guy Brendan Ertle of Canal Street Chronicles. We'll get his thoughts on minicamp. And are the Saints still in the market for Hunter Renfro? We'll do that and more. Plus your calls on the hotline, 337-706-0111. Hour number two coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. We're back right after this top of the hour sports update. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's hour number two of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette, Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Matt Migas, James Mesh. Last night, the Vegas Golden Knights captured the Stanley Cup in dominating fashion. I think that whole game by itself was kind of a representation of the series as a whole. Vegas took down Florida 9-3, to scoring two goals in the first, four goals in the second, and three more in the third. Right, and in Florida, they had put up a, a goal early on in the second period to make it 2-1, to but in the final 10 minutes... Uh, Vegas had just scored four goals back to back to back to back and well, just made it not even close. The thing that really hurt Florida is that they didn't have Matthew Kachuk. Mm-hmm. Kachuk's their star player, and you didn't have him. Um, he suffered an injury in game four early on, and he didn't leave the game. And he didn't play last night. You discovered after the game last night that he finished out game four with a fractured sternum. Think about that. The bone in the center of your chest fractured. And you continued to play one of the hardest hitting sports known to man. What a dude. In the win last night, the captain for the Vegas Golden Knights, right winger Mark Stone, captured a hat trick, and he became the first captain to score a hat trick in a Stanley Cup closeout game in NHL history. Now, what else is significant about Vegas winning the Stanley Cup? How about the fact that this was only their sixth year of existence? 
Oh, and by the way, this was the second time that they played in the Stanley Cup final. The first one? Oh, yeah, that's right. Their very first year. Expansion teams don't get off to that great of a start. Right. It Sometimes it takes them a few years, and a lot of times it takes them even longer Did to even be somewhat relevant. Could you call it gambler's luck in Sin City? Yeah, I would say so. It's also, you, you just had some great moves in the expansion draft. Like, I, I'm sorry, whoever let Jonathan Marcheseau go? Whoever let William Carlson go? Alex Petrangelo, Shea Theodore, Mark Stone. And then they've just gotten better. They contacted Buffalo and they got Jack Eichel, who was the second star of the game last night with three assists. He finally gets his hands on a Stanley Cup. They bring in a veteran goaltender who had won a cup already and Jonathan Quick. Vegas made moves and it paid off. And... You know, I'm not even going to be surprised if they're right back in the Stanley Cup conversation next year. They're that good. And, you know, Jonathan Marcheseau was named the Conn Smythe Trophy winner last night. Conn Smythe Trophy going to the playoff MVP. And Marcheseau was was really incredible in... The postseason, 25 points, 13 goals, 12 assists. Uh, He had a plus-minus of 17 in 22 games played. He had three power play goals and three power play assists. He was second in scoring behind Jack Eichel. But the difference for Marcia, though, was the majority of his points scored came in the goal category. Eichel had 26 points in the playoffs, which is fantastic. But 20 of those points came via the assist. 13 of Marcheseau's 25 came from putting the biscuit in the basket, if you will, is the hockey term. Uh, 13 goals in the playoffs is just incredible. Um, Vegas has been a great story ever since they came into the league. Uh, They proved indefinitely that a sports team could thrive in Las Vegas. Because that was the worry for so long was would a sport would a major sports franchise even work in Las Vegas? Well, Vegas has proven the, the Golden Knights have proven that it can. They've won a championship already. This is their second appearance, like I mentioned, in a Stanley Cup final. And if you saw the shots of not only inside T Mobile Arena, but outside T Mobile Arena last night, they have a fan base. That place was rabid. It was insane. And now the plans have been unveiled for their championship parade, James. There's going to be a championship parade down the Vegas Strip on a Saturday night. They're doing a night parade. That is going to be wild. That sounds about Vegas. That is going to be insanity. I mean... And now, you know, you you start to look at next season, and obviously Vegas is going to be in the conversation. Florida should be in the conversation as well. Uh, The Boston Bruins will probably be around um, in in that conversation after going 65-12 and 
in the regular season. They just ran into a buzzsaw in the Florida Panthers in the first round of the playoffs. One team that I hope is in the conversation is the Washington Capitals after they went 35-37-10 this year. Uh, did not make the playoffs. James, I've, I've gotten used to my beloved Capitals at least making the playoffs. Sure, every now and again they just flame out in the first round, but at least there was playoff hockey. This year they missed it, and that that hurt. So I need them to fix it by making it back into the playoffs next year. Now, I, I know you, you're a Boston sports guy, so I know you don't follow hockey a whole lot, but you're, you're leaning towards the Boston Bruins if you had to pick a team? Yeah, if I had to pick a team, I'd probably pick the Bruins. I mean, uniforms are just so ugly. <laughs> They're just so ugly. Black and mustard yellow. It's just so gross. Sound familiar? <laughs> Anyways, let's go to golf now. The PGA Tour is hosting the U.S. Open starting tomorrow at Los Angeles Country Club. And what's interesting about this event is for the longest time, th- this course was kept very, very private in in terms of a 36-hole complex, I guess. Uh, there's two courses at, at LACC, and it, it, it's been really, like, like I mentioned, kept private because the land was valued in the billions. People didn't even live near it because of how much the land was worth. Uh, not to mention uh, the Playboy Mansion is off to the side of the 14th tee of the Los Angeles Country Club. Uh, what's going to be interesting, though, with this event this weekend is this is only the second time that the U.S. Open is going to get played in Los Angeles. And again, like I mentioned, a very private course. So a lot of guys are going to be unfamiliar with this course. Uh, But one guy that will be familiar is Max Homa, a Los Angeles native. He played college golf at USC. They played tournaments and events at LACC in the past. So he will know this course very well, and I think that's going to play into an advantage for him if he doesn't overthink things. When you look at the layout of the course, it's a 7,423-yard course. It has a par of 70, and it's got three par fives and five par threes. This is the first configuration, the first such configuration in U.S. Open history, and it's the first time that the U.S. Open has played at a venue with five par threes since 1947 when they played it at St. Louis Country Club. The opening hole is going to be a 578-yard par five that goes downhill 51 feet. So the ball's going to roll, and the ball's going to roll a lot. 
I've heard many analysts say this week, it's not going to be a matter of if guys can reach the greens quickly because these fairways and these holes are very drivable. They're going to reach in, in two more times than not. But the issue is going to be that the greens are some of the narrowest on tour. So it's not going to be reaching the greens. It's going to be, can you keep the ball on the green? Because there's going to be a lot of bunkers around these greens, and these bunkers are going to be hard to get out of. So you're going to have to be able to be accurate and precise when you go to the green because you can't really afford to drop strokes by trying to fish your way out of a out of a sand trap. John Rahm's obviously going to be a favorite. Um, he, he's a favorite anytime that, that there's a, a major on the line, especially after the way he's played over the last couple of months. Scotty Scheffler's going to be in that conversation as well. Rory McIlroy could be in that conversation. Brooks Kepka just won the PGA. I wouldn't be surprised if he continues his run of form this weekend in Los Angeles. And then I'm going to throw Max Homa in there. That that experience and that familiarity with the course is going to pay off for him, I think. Um, I'm not going to say that he's going to win it, but I think he's going to compete like hell for one. Uh, look, the, the four majors are, are the best four weekends in golf. Uh, the U.S. Open has always been fun. I constantly go back to that 08 playoff with Tiger Woods and, and, and Rocco was just so fun to watch and everything Tiger had to go through at that point with his back injury. I mean, there was one point in that tournament he couldn't even walk. So for for him to capture the U.S. Open the way he did was just incredible, and I have a feeling that 2023 is going to be just as good of an event at Los Angeles Country Club. 514, we'll take a timeout when we return talking New Orleans Saints. Mini camp this week. We've heard reports that Camara, Chris Olave, and a handful of others have looked incredible. We'll talk about that next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The Houston Astros begin their homestand on Tuesday with a win over the the Washington Nationals, and they will look to make it two in a row tonight, and you can catch all the action right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Astro launch begins at 640. First pitch from the juice box is set for 710. Tune in to live Astros baseball on Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. One thing I forgot to mention talking about the U.S. Open. Los Angeles Country Club has a legitimate 19th hole you hear golf courses label like their bar and restaurant or whatever as the 19th hole as you go there when you finish your round but they have a legitimate 19th hole they call it little 17 it was created in 1921 as a short par three And when the course was redesigned just seven years later, they hit it. 
Well, in 2010, when the course was renovated a third time, they decided to bring it back as an alternate hole. This short par three, and I do mean short par three, uh, only about 120 yards or 110 yards, excuse me. Um, it is literally a one-shotter. There are bunkers left and around the green, and it's going to have it's going to have a place in this year's U.S. Open. Yesterday, the USGA held a closest to the pin competition with money going to charity. Now, James, what they should do is they should hold a PGA event, not ma- not a major, just a regular PGA event at LACC and let them use Little 17 as the 17th hole rather than what's actually there for, for hole 17. Right? I mean, because it, it, cause it sounds, oh, 110 yards, it sounds easy. But if you see the pictures, I mean, dude, there's sand and rough there's a lot all of around it. Sand traps, rough, a bunch of trees surrounding the green itself. If you're not right on the money, you're in trouble. So that could actually throw a nice wrench into things uh, in an event. So I would actually be okay with them using this hole if they truly wanted to. Uh, but man, it's not every day that you see a, a course having a 19th hole or even an alternate hole. Uh, so pretty, pretty cool. Just thought that I had to share that. Anyways, New Orleans Saints mini camp going on this week. Derek Carr met with the media yesterday after finishing up practice. And, you know, we've talked about hard knocks and the possibility that the Saints could be on hard knocks. Derek Carr has been on hard knocks and he shared his experience with the HBO program. I'll say this. I I loved my experience because the producers, everybody, they were so great. You know, they would, you know, if I said something or, you know, made an audible or a check and the camera's on me, I'd look at them and I'd be like, give you a thumbs up. They'd walk away like they wouldn't, you know, they weren't, you know, so intrusive. They're trying to give secrets away. They're just trying to tell a story, you know, and, uh, you know, let the fans in on what it looks like, even a small picture of what it looks like, you know, and uh, I think they do a great job. So um, I had a great experience. Um, with their crew. I, I don't know if it's the same crew every time, but if it's the crew or whatever crew we worked with, they were great. And so, um, you know, do you know, is it my favorite thing to do? No, I, I'd rather there be no cameras, you know, and I just go work and then we go win football games. Um, you know, that's just my personality and what I've kind of grown, grown into. Um, but if we have to we'll make the most of it. He saved it. Because he started off talking about how he loved it. No, Derek, you don't say that. You lie and deny. Oh, Hard Knocks was terrible. I I don't want them near here. What are you doing? Why would you give them ammunition saying, Oh, I liked Hard Knocks. Hard Knocks was fun. (laughs) Come on, man. Lie and deny. Let's go to the game hotline, T. What's going on? Hey, what's up, my man? How are you? I'm doing great, and yourself? I'm doing well. Well, good. Um, first of all, old-fashioned barbecue. Except don't let your brother-in-law do the barbecuing that puts the meat on 
right when the light, uh, the fire lights. Oh no! All you taste is oh yeah! Oh no! No, oh, I'm no. not joking. No, a lot of fluid in every piece. Oof. So <laughs> sounds like a specific experience. Oh yeah! So <laughs> needless to say, he doesn't barbecue. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh yeah, and uh, I got a question. I'll hang up and listen after. You know, with the uh, the field in Omaha being you know, bigger and the wind blowing in. Do you think they finally start pitching to Dylan Cruz and Tommy Jenks? You know, and not, not walking them or uh, pitching around them? Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I'll hang up and listen, my man. Appreciate you, T. That's, that's interesting. Because I'll admit, teams have kind of been pitching around the both of them. Why Dylan Cruz gets walked so many times. But if Dylan Cruz in Omaha may not be at an advantage, do pitchers maybe attack him? Because it, it's going to be one of those things where, look, if he gets one off of me, like he got it, right? Like, like he earned it. So is it going to be one of these things where a Chase Dolander on Saturday against LSU just kind of comes right at Dylan Cruz and says, I'm going to make you beat me. That could be interesting to see because I didn't think about that. But with the wind blowing in and it being a little bit bigger than, than your standard MLB park, I mean, your, your standard college park, uh, th- that'll, that, that could make things I- intriguing for sure. James, I mean, what do you, what do you think? Uh, I think they probably would do that. I mean, it put it puts pitchers at the advantage. Um, it, it forces you to actually have to hit the ball because that's a thing with LSU's offenses. Guys like Tommy, guys like Dylan, they've been walked so many times, and it gives the other guys opportunities to get RBIs and correct. hit them in because they've already gotten on base. They don't have to get the hits. But now that you're forcing them and you're not necessarily as scared of them hitting as many home runs in these parks – You'll force them like, hey, you actually try and get a get a single, get a double. Like you actually do instead of us giving you a free base. Getting back to the Saints, Derek Carr also talked about, you know, there's we've we've talked about this. There's a lot of weapons in in this Saints offense. Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Rashid Shahid, Alvin Kamara, Jamal Williams, Juwan Johnson, Taysom Hill, yada yada yada. Derek Carr says that he is not worried about feeding specific mouths. I mean, uh, you know, I'm going to do my best to get us, you know, in the right situation, make the best decision with the football. We're in a great situation here with with all the weapons that we do have. That um, we don't just have to force it to one guy. And so, uh, you know, if he has 80, awesome. You know, if he has 20, awesome. As long as we're winning, you know, uh, that's what we want to do. And so, um, sure, there's ways. As soon as he can, I've lived this. I've lived this. I've answered these questions when we. Throw Waller the ball. Why are we only throwing to the tight end? You know, what, what about Alave? What about my? You know, what about Rasheed? And then we're going to ch- throw the ball to you know Alvin. He's going to have 12 catches for 150. I mean, why are we checking the ball down? Why are we? It's like, dude, bro. T- a decade of this, I, I'm just over it. You know, and so I'm going to make the best decisions. Whoever catches the balls, they catch the balls. Uh, I'm going to do my best. Uh, and I'm sure someone on YouTube out there will see one that I missed and think that he knows the read. So uh, I'll just do my best to get however many catches he gets. He gets them. 
Kind of calling us out, huh? Dude's spot on. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> the, we're, we're never satisfied because, you know. One it, game you'll see a Taysom Hill game. And correct. you're like, why is Kamara not getting the ball? Mike Thomas may get a, a big game. And you're like, why is Rashid not getting the ball? And then you see Rashid finally get like his three touches and one of them be is, is a touchdown. And you're like, where's Chris Olave in the offense? Well, what's funny is y- you brought up, you know, why isn't Alvin Kamara getting the ball? And then say the next Sunday, Kamara catches 10 passes, like he mentioned, for 150 yards. And we're going to be, oh, well, Kamara's getting the ball too much. We, we we need to spread it out to other guys. You can't feed it to him too often. He's gonna have too like, many touches. We're we're never we're never satisfied, and that is a problem that needs to be fixed. It's an impossible balance. That's it is you can't find. Speaking of Alvin Kamara, Derek Carr had the opportunity to talk about his new running back. No, me and Alvin have been talking, uh, you know, uh, about about certain things and. What a, what a great guy. I uh, just absolutely love him. Um, great teammate, you know, great energy about him, um, and very explosive. You know, he's so smooth on film, you really just don't know how good he is. You know, obviously you see the film, but then when you get in person, he ran a couple routes. I remember I looked at Jake today, and I was like, bro, like, that's not normal, <laughs> you know. And you just feel his presence when he's on the field. You know, we were able to hit him on a couple little routes and things like that and see, see him move. And... Um, you know, he. I, I think just being around him just for a little bit, you know, in the building, you people don't really know how smart he is at football. You know, what he he knows where to say, he knows what route to run, he knows where to get, uh, he knows how to use his help, and um, you know that combined with his athletic ability, you see why now he's had all that production. And so, um, yeah, we've been we've been talking, you know, the whole time, but uh, it was cool to see him in person uh, for sure. Am I the only one that that listens to Derek Carr speak and it just gets so excited? The guy just always has something so positive and upbeat and happy to say. Like, you just want that guy to be your quarterback. You also just want to see him succeed. Right. Like, you, no matter where he's playing, you root for that guy. Like... It, it, I've always found myself going, man, how's Derek Carr doing? Is he having a good year? I've never rooted against Derek Carr. I'm not a Raiders fan by any stretch, but I've never rooted against Derek Carr. Uh, and the fact that he is the Saints court, I don't know, man. I, I could listen to his press conferences just over and over and over and over again. It makes me excited for Saints football. Um, lastly, Derek Carr talked about a cornerback for the Saints in Marshawn Lattimore. You know, in, in practice, he gets a prime opportunity to see him on the other side of the field, and he was asked, just how good is Marshawn? This is tenacity, 100%, and he's he's one of the top corners. You know, you can sit up there and put rankings, and they everyone loves to put on Instagram and get attention, you know, and who really cares? You know, he's one of the top corners in the NFL. He's an elite corner. Um and I think his overall competitiveness, his tenacity, his drive, um, I think that's what separates him. You know, I mean, you just watch, watch him today. He just competes, you know. Like a lot of guys are very talented, but they don't compete the way that he does. He's talented and he competes that way. You know, and, and then playing against him. I've played against him too in Las Vegas. And uh, there's just certain routes he don't throw his way, you know. We got away with one. We completed one on it. And 
we got away with it because he jumped it and we threw it high and he could have he could have had that one. Um, but you know, there's you know, you just think I just think about playing him over the years. There's certain balls you just that's a, yeah, I'm gonna work over here, you know. And not a lot of guys make you do that, um, but he's one that does. Like what? Like what would be something? You... I'm not gonna give all my secrets away. Not yet. Not till not till week one. Then I'll tell him. <laughs> Marshawn has always been such a good corner. Um, and another thing I've noticed when listening to Derek Carr, he likes Instagram a little too much. Stay off of Instagram. Stay off of social media in general. Calling out the people on YouTube. Twitter, don't do it. Calling out Instagrammers. Zion Williamson could, could take a lesson from this too. So just don't do it. Just stay off of it. Delete your profiles. Don't let anybody tag you in anything. Just stay away. 532. We'll take a timeout. We'll continue the Saints conversation with our guy Brendan Ertel. We'll do Who That Wednesday next. He's going to go. Touchdown, Saints. Who's ready for some New Orleans Saints talk? We are. Here is Who That Wednesdays with Canal Street Chronicles' Brendan Ertel on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Ertel, what's going on, man? How are you? What's going on, Miguez and Mesh? Oh, man. Uh, it's just another beautifully sweltering day in southwest Louisiana. Hey, man, don't complain. I mean, the weather's great. It just go hop in a pool after the show. It is 91 degrees right now, and it's going to get up to 99 this weekend. You know, just throw your towel out, go get a little tan. I, 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 don't, I don't think that's uh, something that you guys don't need. Oh, my God. Anyways, mini camp going on right now over in Metairie. And the report is that Chris Olave is having an incredible summer. Are we surprised that he has been as good as he has been so far this offseason? You know, there's players in, in all sports that, that will work hard. There's players that will, you know, show up on day one and be ready or not be ready. Um, there's gamers like Michael Thomas who, you know, the, don't necessarily need to be 100% um, all day, every day. But Chris Olave was one of those guys that we knew from day one that he was a hard worker. Um, man, he had some things he had to fix, but year one he was pretty much perfect. I mean, there was a lot of things he did really well, uh, a lot of things that he could have improved upon. And it sounded like this offseason he, he went up and uh, faced those problems and uh, fixed some things. And, you know, we were concerned about maybe some strength and, some contested catching and he's done nothing but prove that uh he improved on those things and um i mean are you surprised chris lives in a great summer i don't think anyone is this this dude's a baller um he's from ohio state and having a quarterback i think helps pretty much you know that whole room buying a little bit more than they usually would have and then flipping sides to the defense apparently peyton turner has had a great mini camp hey man i i I, I know he's a stud. I, I know all the intangibles are there. He's got to go out there and do it, man. He's just got to go out there and do it. And I think this preseason is going to be important for him. And uh, if if I'm if I'm DA, I'm playing him, you know, more than anyone else I'm playing in the preseason. I, I think Peyton needs those snaps. Um, we've seen him in some games where he's been really good. I mean, that Seattle game, I thought that was the turning point in his career where it's like, okay, from now on, this dude's going to be a stud. And then, you know, gets hurt on a big-time play he made, and uh, we didn't see him again. So I think just for him, snaps is going to be important. Um, I'm not here to write him off or anything, and 
that defensive end spot opposite Cam Jordan is wide open, and it might be a position by uh, committee that they end up starting. Um, but, you know, by week five, who's going to be that guy that, that gets the first nod? Um, I think we'll see a real good competition between Granderson, Foskey, and, and Turner. But I think Turner knows that um, it, it's time it's time to start producing. Uh, he's had two years under his belt, and now, now he's got to get some stats and, and play some games. Does it annoy you that Taysom Hill is still getting work at quarterback? You know, I thought that was interesting. First day uh, mandatory minicamp, he gets snaps at quarterback. Second day, he gets snaps at tight end. Um, what's it going to be tomorrow? You know, running back? Um, I, I don't think it's annoying me. I just think it's it's, it's an experiment they need to probably stop. Um, but yet again, uh, it's it's worked. I mean, we go back to, I always think of the Atlanta game when uh, he had a couple good runs. Uh, they put him in again, and he throws a deep shot to Shahid. Um, that's just an element that you can't plan for. Um and it's it's something that they'll probably always have is in their playbook is is that Taysom run with a with a chance to throw a deep ball later in the game and you know you hope those safeties pinch up a little bit and the box gets uh, thicker and thicker and you can take a shot like that because he's got a cannon arm. Uh, the the thing about him was accuracy. So as long as you can put it out there and give these fast guys a shot, I mean, um, might as well keep it in the playbook. Uh, I just don't think you know we need to be taking Derek Carr off the field like we were with Drew. And just having him take a three-step drop and throwing him, you know, a ten-yard dig to Michael Thomas. There's just no need for that anymore. Uh, you got a guy, you got an, a quarterback. I would say that is elite at doing that, giving his playmakers a football. So, um, no need. Now, speaking of Derek Carr, he was asked about Alvin Kamara's route running ability, and I, I quote, "Bruh, that's not normal." How good has Alvin Kamara become as a route runner? It, it's it's kind of incredible how good he is at a route runner. I was just going back and watching some some tape from 2018, 2019, and the the ways that they used him, I, I I still think that we could go back and use him those ways. And he was playing slot receiver a lot of these times. And there was a snap against Philly. I think it was in the playoffs when we played Philly. And Taysom was in at quarterback, and Kamara, I don't remember who was in coverage on him, but he beat him straight on like a post route. And it was, it was, if you change the number, you change up the jersey, it looks like, you know, it looks like Hunter Renfro ran, ran the route, for God's sake. So he is, he is masterful at that. Um, and I know for a fact, um, there will be some, some screen passes in this offense. There has to be. There's no way that we continue not to, not to do that. But, you know, Derek talked about a little bit. Um, as well, he was like, Kamara's a guy where you look downfield, no one's there, you dump it off to him. Um, that's a pretty good decision because he can make everyone in that meeting room miss and, and more. And there's going to be times when they just, you know, maybe pretend like they're going to throw it deep and then just give him the ball. So it sounded like there's a lot more emphasis on getting Kamara the football. And I think that's a, a huge W for, for everyone because it felt like in times last year we were giving him the ball. Um, in, in weird situations and forcing him to have carries that didn't make sense. And uh, we weren't giving the ball when we were supposed to be giving it to him. So I think it's important. You mentioned Hunter Renfro. Are the Saints still in the market to maybe acquire him? Or has that ship sailed? It's interesting because I still think conversations could pick up. Um, the offseason is a long um, it's a long journey. There's going to be roster cut downs. There's going to be 
players on the Raiders roster that, um, you know, they might need a roster spot or whatnot. Um, I think we've seen throughout camp so far, mini camp that is, uh, with uh, Shahid's injury, uh, Cam Jordan being limited, the wide receiver room with one of those guys out kind of gets a little bit thin. Um, Shahid's obviously been off to the side. Michael Thomas has been off to the side. Uh, so we're seeing more of Brian Edwards, James Washington. And I think in that situation, you know, more so than, than really anyone else, I think that they're seeing the depth that they have. So I think these next few few days and few weeks coming up is going to be important because you got MT on the sideline and she on the sideline. You, you really get to see what you have. And if they don't love it, I think you get a little bit more of an urgency there. But if, if you know, the Raiders are coming out and selling this dude for, for a couple bucks, you go do it for sure. Um, but if there's a little bit more sense of urgency for the Saints, um, maybe they throw in an extra pick that they wouldn't have a couple weeks ago. I know Raider fans are mentioning guys like Alante Taylor trading straight up for Hunter Renfro. That's not going to happen. They're not going to trade a guy like that. It's going to be a pick or a, a player. Uh, I've seen Peyton Turner. They, they throw out Peyton Turner's name. I mean, that's, that could be something. But it's not going to be something where the Saints – you know, are overpaying for this player. It was more so Raiders a clean house. They dealt Darren Waller for pretty much nothing. Will they do the same for Hunter Renfro? It doesn't sound like there's been any, been any real offers out there for him yet. Brendan Ertle joining us for Hoodat Wednesday. You know, obviously there, there's still one more day of minicamp tomorrow. Uh, what, what is the expectation headed into day three? What are you maybe looking for that maybe you haven't seen yet? You know, things like that. Um, I, I think we've seen a lot of positive things so far. Um, I mean, bringing in Ted Ginn, I mean, that that was kind of cool. Um, he's a guy that has tons of experience with this team. And, you know, it was kind of a, a joke around Saints Twitter because um, the last time we saw of him, he was on IR for a very long time. And uh, a lot of people bugged some Saints reporters about when he'd be back. And uh, he's back, so that was pretty cool to see. Um, I want to see more from the offensive line. And I want to see the health because we've had a lot of players on that line um, be out on the side. Uh, Ruiz, Penning, those are two guys that are going to be super critical how the season goes. If those positions aren't, you know, 100% steady going into week one, this could be a little bit rougher team than we think. I think offensive line is one of the most important units in all sports, honestly. It's like having a, it's like having a great goalie in, in soccer or hockey. You need to have uh, a good offensive line, good defensive line. Um, you know, and if we're if we're mixing and matching every week like we were last year, I think it's going to be hard for Derek. It's going to be hard for the running backs. It's going to be hard for everyone. So I want to see more from the interior depth. I want to see more from you know guys like um, Landon Young. Can he step up? Can he make the roster? Um, there hasn't been a lot of buzz about when those two guys will be back, but I think those two especially are really going to make or break how good this offense can really be. So I want to see more from the offensive line because we've seen some good things so far from the defensive line especially Brian Brzee uh, running with the first-team unit. What are you wanting to see? You brought up the offensive line, and, and you talked about wanting to see health out of the offensive line. One guy that I really want to see a lot from uh, over the next two days is I would like to see more from Trevor Penning on, on mm-hmm. the offensive line. I mean, you, you spent a first-round pick on him last year. You, you didn't see much of him. You know, now Now it's kind of time for – him to, to get healthy and be able to contribute to, to the Saints offense. Yeah, I don't think this is anything like like a Zion situation or a, even like a Michael Thomas situation where he's been out for, you know, multiple years. This is an injury that's that's kind of lingered um 
and I just want to see him get healthy. But once he does get healthy, I think it's going to be important for him to get those snaps. Um, I'd love to see him in the preseason. I think that'll be big for a guy like that. Uh, we saw him against Carolina, and I thought that was a phenomenal game for him. Had some big-time blocks, but yet there's some snaps and some situations where you know, you can see the inexperience in him. So, and a guy like that, especially from a small college where he was, it's really just about playing football. He's going to get better and better. He's not going to get worse as he plays. Um, he's got all of the things you can't teach in him. He's, he's huge. He's strong. You know, he's, he's got pretty good feet. Um, the pass protection could be better. The run blocking is, is Trent Williams-like at times where you see him just blocking people 15 yards downfield, kind of like Teron used to do. So I think just playing, understanding the game a little bit better, understanding the quarterback, knowing which guard's going to be next to him, um, I think that's also important. Um, and, again, we can't be mixing and matching. And uh, w- when we do, we have to have guys that are got experience. We can't be, you know, putting Caesar um, at guard, at center. We got Eric out. I mean, last year was just – they're not going to be as injured as they were last year. There's just no way. Um, I mean, I hope there's no way. But I think health around the whole offensive line is going to help Trevor. It's going to help everyone develop. And having a quarterback that calls out – you know, the signals is going to also help um, Eric and everyone else have a little bit easier job as well. Now, Brendan, before I let you run, LSU baseball uh, made it to Omaha. They're getting ready to to start that run on Saturday afternoon against Tennessee. Uh, what are your expectations for the Tigers in Omaha? Wow. I mean, LSU, people say it's a football school. People say now it's a women's basketball school. The, the act that we saw from LSU fans – just a round of applause to all LSU fans. You know, that game being delayed in great weather where, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure 95% of those people wanted to leave that game where it got delayed um, and go jump in a pool or something because of weather. They all stuck it out. I mean, the turnout was great. Uh, they won in dominant fashion. Everyone stayed pretty much to the last pitch. Um, this team's legit. And, you know, what I've seen from Dylan Cruz has been pretty impressive as well. I think they have a legit team. Um and it's really one of these times where you kind of get excited about, you know, just the whole school in general. I mean, football's been football's been great. Uh, women's basketball's been phenomenal. Uh, LSU baseball's back. What first Omaha trip since 2017? So, um, just a lot of good things around LSU right now, and a lot of good things in Louisiana sports all around altogether. Brendan Ertle, appreciate you as always. Enjoy the rest of mini camp. Enjoy the World Series this weekend, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Yes, sir. And there he goes, Brendan Ertle of Canal Street Chronicles. We'll take a time out. We'll wrap up today's show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, wants you to subscribe to its YouTube channel. How do you do that? Head to YouTube. At the game, Louisiana, and you could see our shenanigans both on and off the air. Click the notifications so that you can click the bell so that you can get notifications when we post our brand new content and post game recaps. Head to YouTube at the game, Louisiana, and make sure you click subscribe and get notifications for our brand new content. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. 
Now back to more Crunch Time with Miquez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. James, real quickly, the Washington Wizards are willing to work with Bradley Beal on a trade. Where could you see Beal headed? I mean, obviously he's at the point in his career where he's probably chasing a ring. Could you see him going to a Miami? Could you see him going to a Denver? The Lakers, maybe? A Denver would be an interesting one. Uh, Miami? I mean, I guess if you would just keep Kyle Lowry as your point, you just have Bradley as your two, Jimmy as your three, and then have Bam as your five. I mean, I feel like that would work out. Um, I think there's quite a few places. It also just kind of... I. You would think, oh, we'll just go get another star for the Pelicans, but it's like you already got right. one of those in C.J. McCollum. If anything, you need more of a point guard than another shooting for sure. guard. For sure. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that move plays out. I know Bill's been looking to get out of Washington for a couple of years now, even though he's denied it uh, ever since. Thanks to our guest, Adam Spencer, Brendan Ertle, for joining us today. Come back tomorrow, preview in Tennessee with our guy Ryan Shumpert. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, give a hug to your mom and them. And we're back tomorrow, 4 to 6, right here on The Game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Astro launch from Minute Maid Park in about 40 minutes, right here on The Game.